Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you, Father, that in every circumstance, in every situation, you're more than enough. Now we can trust you and we can rely upon you. We can have confidence in you. But you've promised in your word that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so we thank you, Father, that we have that confidence right now that you're here. You're here to minister to every one of our needs. You're here to speak to our hearts, to give us guidance, to give us wisdom, to give us direction. And so, Father, have your way today. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. We can trust you. That you've made available to us victory in every area of life. And so this morning as we've come together, we've come together to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all of the glory. Because you're worthy of it. And so we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. You know, I think oftentimes we, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we get serious and we um, acknowledge God. We approach Him when uh, when we're at the peak of frustration and difficulty and whatever else. And but you know. <clears throat> We need to uh, acknowledge our God and give him praise and honor and glory for the fact that he hears us. Aren't you glad that he hears us? And you know, last week, I, I mean, it just, it just kind of made my day. I got a text from both Bryce and Valerie about Landon, and, and you've probably seen it on Facebook, but how... Uh, um, the swelling has gone down. There's been no more growth. Hallelujah. The doctors are amazed. We're not amazed because we expected it. Amen. So I just think we ought to thank him for it. And Julie is back from Des Moines. She had her surgery and she's out here at the hospital and she, you know, she had her leg broke and had to have it pinned and plated and a bunch of other junk. And, well, she's full of junk right now, <laughs> praise the Lord. <clears throat> but she's doing great, positive, hallelujah. Got a plan, you know, they're talking months. We don't accept that in Jesus' name. But just everything went wonderfully. And I thought, we ought, I think we ought to yes. be thankful for that, yes. amen. Yes. And, you know, we prayed for Cam last week and and uh, they keep putting him through tests. You know, he's, he's doing fine, but, you know, they figure there's got to be something wrong. Amen. Got to be something wrong. The only thing is they can't find anything wrong. Praise the Lord. And you know what? They're not going to because he's the redeemed of the Lord. And so what do, you, what do you say we just give a shout out for God because he's so good to us? Amen. Father, we just thank you. We bless you. We worship you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your healing power that flows through our lives. And we thank you for it, Father. And we give you praise and honor and glory in the magnificent name of Jesus. He hears us. Hallelujah. You know, I was talking with the guys up in Fort Dodge last Monday night, and I was just talking about the fact, I says, you know, it's tough being a Pentecostal, word of faith, gospel of grace, preaching preacher. Because as a full gospel, faith preaching, gospel of grace believing preacher, when you pray something, you expect it to happen. 
And I says, you know, it's just too bad. I, you know, if I would have just stayed in the denomination that I grew up in, we would pray for people, but we didn't expect anything to happen. We pray for people and we expect something to happen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. And so, uh, our God is good. I'm so glad I'm saved. Got a home in heaven. Hey, brother, how you doing? Haven't seen you for a while. God is good. I want to talk with today about the prosperous soul. We're to have a prosperous soul. As human beings, we are spirits possessed by a soul living in a physical body. Our physical body just simply gives us, our spirit, a means of expression. Our soul is our emotions, our intellects. It's where our will, our wills are established. This is the part of us that thinks, that makes choices. That, that's our that's our soul. When we accept Jesus and, and we became and were saved, we're able to take authority over negative emotions. Think about this. Because we're saved, we can now take authority over negative emotions. We don't have to live in these negative emotions any longer. And we can overcome those fears that contradict the Word of God. We're able to do that because we've been born again, because we're new creations in Christ Jesus. And so the Word of God, when we receive it into our soul, it's, it's like an anchor. I, we sang it this morning about the anchor of our soul. And it anchors us, it keeps us on target. You know, what does an anchor do? It's supposed to keep a boat from floating away. Inside story there, we won't get into it today. It's supposed to. It keeps us from going from to the left or to the right. It keeps us where we're supposed to be. And that's what our soul, when it's being renewed, is able to do in our lives. God's word revolutionizes our soul. It anchors us and it transforms us. And so, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to read this out of the Amplified, Hebrews 4.12. And it says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and the joints and the marrow of the deepest part of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and the purpose, purposes of the heart. That's what the Word of God does. It divides it under, it separates that which is soul from that which is spirit. There's nothing else that is able to do that. When we're struggling, trying to determine whether it's, it's, it's my soul influenced by the flesh or whether it's my soul influenced by my spirit. There's only one way to divide that under, the, the, this asunder. It's through the Word of God. And that, once again, is why the Word of God is so important in our life. We're, we're, we're incapable of dividing rightly the Word of truth, or truth, period, without the Word of God in our lives. When our spirits are dead, God's word makes us alive. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we were dead apart from God spiritually. 
But it was that word of God that brought life, Zoe life into our being, that we might be whole, that we might be free. The word of God is not dormant. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't just sit there. The word of God isn't something that's just stagnant. The word of God is active in your life and my life. And I don't know about you, for me, there's times where I can sit down and I'll read my Bible religiously because I know the importance that it's having in my life, but it's like, it's like nothing's happened. It's like I'm not getting anything. I'm just, it's like I'm just going through the motions. But the Word of God is active. The Word of God is powerful. And even in those moments when we, we, we don't feel like we're getting something, we're getting something because the Word of God is activated. It's working in our lives. It's able to actively deal with situations in every area of our life. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the 19th verse, and again, I'm reading this out of the Amplified. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 19. Now we have this hope as a sure and steady anchor of the soul. It cannot slip, it cannot break down under, uh, under whoever steps out upon it a hope that reaches further and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. It goes deep within us. Hope, as described here, is a confident expectation. There ought to be an expectation in our lives. When we pray for somebody, there ought to be an, a hope, an expectation that the word is going to fulfill exactly what it says it's going to do. When we give of our tithes and offerings, there ought to be a hope, there ought to be an expectation that my God is going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Whatever area that we're talking about, there ought, to be a, there ought to be an expectation, or as I have it here, a confident expectation. Our hope is in Christ. And it says that we must not cast away our hope. And you see, that's what the enemy, the world, and the flesh wants to do. It wants to get us in a place where we cast away our hope. Wants to get us in a place where we have no expectations. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. No, 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 no. That's, that's not biblical, by the way. We're to have a confident expectation. And that expectation is that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Exactly what he said. You know, I was listening to Joel Osteen this morning, and he was talking about uh, the king who had leprosy and, and how he, this servant girl remembered about the prophet in Israel and told him about it, said, too bad you, we don't have a prophet here like they have in Israel because you could be healed. And so he, he went to the prophet. And uh, he goes to the prophet and, and uh, he said, the prophet sends his servant out to greet him. And didn't go himself, just sent his servant out, which offended him because he was important. You know, sometimes we think we're so important because we designate to God how he's going to do it in our life rather than allowing him to be God. And so he went to the, the door and the servant says, go dip in the, in the Jordan seven times. And he says, I mean, why would I want to dip in the Jordan? It's a dirty, filthy river and we got cleaner rivers than that back home. Why would I want to go in there? Ticked him off. And so he's going to leave and his servant says, well, 
Why don't you you at least do what the prophet told you to do? Didn't really believe anything was going to happen. But he decided to do it anyway. We read this morning in Malachi, try me now in this. See if I won't do exactly what I said I was going to do. And so what did he do? He finally went down to the river and he dipped once, twice, six times, nothing happened. You know, what's happening? Probably what little hope he had was being cast away. But he dipped the seventh time. You know, sometimes we think, God, where are you? He's with you. Because he's promised that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. You may feel like you've dipped in the dirty river seven times, six times, and nothing's happened. Don't give up hope. Don't cast away your hope. Because it's that hope that's the anchor to your soul. You see, if we don't have the Word of God in our life, we have absolutely nothing to anchor our soul. That's why we flip from here to there. Why, that's why we feel like we have faith one day and the next day we feel like we don't have any faith. Because our soul has not been anchored in the word of God. But you know what he did? He dipped the seventh time. And he come up, come up out of the river and his skin was smooth. The leprosy was completely gone. You may feel like you've stood a long time. But you know what? Don't give up. And don't give in because God isn't giving up on you. Similar to an anchor, the Word of God, the anchor of our soul, holds us in that place of faith where we need to be so that we can receive everything that Jesus has for us. In James, the first chapter, the 22nd verse, and again from the Amplified, it says, So get rid of all uncleanliness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your soul. See, The salvation of our soul is a process. The moment that we were born again, our spirit was made brand new. But the salvation of our soul is a process. It's it's a metamorphosis. It changes as we remain true to the Word of God. And it's not us changing it. It's not us conforming to the Word of God. There's a transformation that takes place in our lives when we trust in and we rely upon him. Letting the, the, root, the word take root in our lives changes our character, how we feel, what we choose, what we believe. Again, I was sharing some of these things last Monday night and you know, one of the things that I told the guys is, you know, we've, we've tried to do it in our own strength, in our own ability. We've messed up, and that's why I've got a room full of guys when I go up there. They're not there because they want to. They're there because they couldn't change what needed to be changed. They couldn't live what needed to be lived in their lives. And so many of the difficulties and the issues that we deal with in our lives is the same way. We're trying to do it in our own strength and our own ability. But what God wants to do through his word, he wants to change our want to. Do you know it's easy to do something when you want to? Have you, have you found that to be true? It's easy to do something when I want to. It's not so easy when I don't want to. But you know what? When God changes our want to, we no longer have to use our willpower. At that point, then it begins begins to simply be a decision. I'm going to follow that which is 
working on the inside of me. He wants to change us from the inside out. What man wants to do, what man wants to do is he wants to change you from the outside in. Because man figures, if they can change your actions, they've changed who you are. But the problem is, is if we've not changed on the inside, what happens is we'll always revert back to what's comfortable. And what's comfortable is what our want to wants to do. And so we'll revert back to it. And so what God wants to do, though, he wants to change our want to and the way that he does that is through his word because his word changes the way that we think. And when we change the way that we think, we change the way that we act. Our actions begin to change. What people see begins to change. You know, you've, after 36 years, once again, you've heard all my stories, so you get to hear them again. But you know, after I was saved, I wanted to be a good husband. But you know, it's difficult for a jerk to change. And so I wanted to, I, 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 I tried, but didn't always work the way that I wanted it to. But I remember several years after being saved, we were, we were gone, I think we were probably up in Wapaka at this time, and we came back, and you've heard it, how we were playing Pinochle with the Nissans, and partway through one of the games, they stopped and they paused and they looked at us and they said, we can really tell that God has been really working in your lives. And we looked at one another and thought, what are they talking about? And they said, remember when we used to play and as we played, you each kept throwing these little digs out at each other and then you would laugh about it like you didn't mean it. We knew you meant it. Ever realize that about those little digs? Oh, I'm just being funny, I'm just being cute. No, you aren't, you're being a jerk. You mean it. They say, we notice how you talk to one another, it's changed. Now we didn't realize it. But something happened on the inside of us. It's known as the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Word of God in our life. It saved our soul. It changed our soul. And that anchor for our soul, rather than ending up in divorce, you know, we're, we, we celebrated 50 years last year. That's what the Word of God will do in our life. And that's, that's in our marriage. That's, that's in every area of our life where God wants to work in you and he wants to work in me. In Romans, the 12th chapter, the first verse, we're all very familiar with it. And Paul here is speaking to the church and he says, I beseech you. And really what he's, he's saying is I'm begging you. Paul feels so strongly about this that he's, he's asking, he's begging. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. And so he's talking to believers. By the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you realize it isn't a burden to serve God? It's simply reasonable. After what Jesus did for you and I, it's only reasonable that we would choose to serve him the rest of our lives, that, that we would dedicate our very being to him to fulfill his plan, his will, his purpose. But you know, the thing about it is, is, is the world changes all the time. The, the fashions change, everything changed. Somebody asked me this morning if I had a new suit. <clears throat> Obviously, they were not stylish because they would have known this isn't a new suit. And the way you can know that it's not a new suit, I won't mention your name, Joe, <clears throat> but the, the, way, the way you know that it's not a new suit, it's got pleats. You don't get pleats in your suit. Now, in, in five years, you probably will. And I've got cuffs. And if you bought a suit today, you wouldn't have pleats and you wouldn't have cuffs because it's not stylish. 
You know, I'm just so cool. I'm just stylish, whatever I wear. So I wear the old suit. Come on. But see, that's, that's what style does. And so everybody, you know, within the next two years will get rid of all their pleated uh, and cuff suits. And then they'll come out with pleats and cuffs again. And there won't be enough material to put a pleat in unless you lose a whole lot of weight and there's not enough material to put cuffs. So you gotta go out and you gotta buy a new wardrobe. Because, and so that's the way the world operates in every area. But Hebrews says that Jesus, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is it doesn't ever change. What God said was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price on the cross for your sins and my sins. When 2,000 years ago when Jesus took stripes upon his back for your sickness and disease and my sickness and disease, he doesn't change. It's still the same. You know, that's why we can have such, such confidence in God. That's why the Word of God is the anchor to our soul because it doesn't ever change. I was thinking about it just yesterday. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I was thinking about it. I guess because mom's birthday's coming up here pretty soon and she's gonna be 99. You know, and then I got thinking about uh, dad that at his last birthday, if he had lived, he would have been 104. And uh, got thinking about that if, my, if dad had lived another couple of months, uh, they, they would have celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. And I got thinking about that and I thought, glory to God. You know, Becky and I'll be celebrating our 75th wedding anniversary and I'll only be 94. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's good. And God doesn't change. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? If Jesus tarries and I live that long, I'm not sure I want to, but if I do, his word is still going to be just as true as it is today. Because he doesn't ever change. We can have complete, total confidence in him because he is the same. Let's look at um, Romans 12, 2. But I want to look at the second verse, and I'm going to read it again out of the Amplified. And it says, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed, by the entire renewing of your mind, by its new ideas and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. You know, <clears throat> In Isaiah, it says, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But remember something, that's before the cross. That's before the born again experience. Our ways become his ways. His thoughts become our thoughts. As we focus on, as we meditate upon the word of God, it brings about a a change in our life. You know, the thing about God and his word, it doesn't produce in us that which is superficial, so that we live a superficial life, that we go through life feeling like what we're living is phony. You know what happens with people when they're entrenched and snared by religion? They feel like they're living a, a phony life because there's no, nothing real in it. But what we have in Christ Jesus is real. We don't have to have this feeling that something's phony because it's real. 
We pray for the sick, not because <clears throat> we're required to. We pray for the sick because we want to, because it's going to produce results in our life. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other individuals. Why? Because we're expected to witness as a believer. No, we do it because of what Jesus did in my life. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I would have everyone experience the goodness and the love of God that I've had the privilege of experiencing for the last 45 years. That's how good our God is. And so why do we share with somebody? Because we want them to experience what God's made available to them. Oh yes, we want them to escape hell and damnation. But it's more than that. We want them to be able to experience the abundant life that's been made available to them in Christ Jesus. It's not just simply one single event. It's a life. It's a growth. It's a process that evolves. And that happens as we renew our minds by the Word of God. First, or excuse me, 3 John 1 and 2. <clears throat> now, again, 36 years ago, the first message that I ever preached at Abundant Life was the renewing of the mind. This was my foundational text. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified here. It says, The elderly elder of the church addresses this letter to the beloved esteemed Gaius, whom I truly love. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in every way, that your body may be kept well, even as I know your soul keeps well and prospers. And so basically what this scripture is saying, that you will never prosper beyond what your soul prospers. And here where it's talking about prosperity, it's talking about finances, but it's talking about every area of your life. You know, Copeland, many years ago, he made this statement. He said, the lowest form of prosperity is financial prosperity. And you know what's so interesting is we spend all of our time trying to gain the lowest form of prosperity that there is. But when we have prosperity of the soul, that means it's gonna affect us emotionally, it's gonna affect us intellectually, it's gonna affect us physically. Yes, it's gonna affect, affect us uh, financially. It's gonna affect us relationally. It affects every single area of our life. And he says, I desire for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And so there's a, there's a dependency upon us renewing our mind, renewing our soul. There's a need for us to recognize and acknowledge and see what Jesus has truly done for us. And there's no other avenue by which that can be accomplished but through the Word of God. That's why the Word has to be number one in our life. He desires for us to prosper. He desires for us to have health. He desires for us to be victorious. There's certain elements that make for a prosperous soul. When we hunger and thirst for the things of God, it brings about a change in our life. You know, I, I believe for the church, and I'm not just simply talking about a, Abundant Life Ministries, although we're included, but I believe for the church at large, there's a huge need for a hunger, for a thirst of the things of God. And you know, for that to take place, there's this need for us to, to stir ourselves up. 
You know, Paul spoke to Timothy and he told, to him, told him to stir up the gift within him. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by reading the word. We do that by praying. We, we do that by meditating the word. We do that by praying in tongues. We're stirring up that, sh that which is within me. <clears throat> I know you can't tell this by looking at me, but I really enjoy a good meal. And I have a wife that's a really good cook. And, you know, when she starts cooking, my, my glands begin to salivate. I'm hungering for that which she is preparing. And then she serves me the meal. And I eat it. And I enjoy it. But you know, even though I feel full, I still hunger for more. And so I have that third helping. <laughs> After being full with the first helping. See, I've not been convicted in that area. But there's this hunger, there's this thirst. That's how we're to be for the Word of God. We should, we should never get enough. There should always be a desire for more of the Word of God. Why? Because of what it produces in our life. It, it satisfies. My palate is satisfied. We need to be satisfied. That's what the Word of God does for us. The prosperous soul meditates on the word and follows its precepts. Psalms 1, verses 1 and through 3, we're familiar with it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law, the word of the Lord. And in this law, word, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, which brings forth fruit in its season, and its leaves shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. It's talking about every area of our life. Whatever we do is going to prosper. Our leaves will not wither. It's going to produce a harvest. What's, what's the point? What's the point of planting seed? I know Mike and the farmers, they don't, they don't go out there and plant seed just because, you know, I, I know they enjoy the spring and planting and so forth, but that isn't, that isn't their, their whole motivation. Their motivation is a harvest. They plant the seed for a harvest. The Word of God is seed. We plant the seed for a harvest. We don't plant the seed simply to be planting seed. But you know what? That's what we've thought. Oftentimes, that's exactly what we've believed. We believe that we, we hear the Word of God, we meditate on the Word of God, we speak the Word of God just simply because that's what we do. No, we do it for a purpose. We do it to present or to produce a harvest. We plant the seed. By the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed. Why? So that when sickness tries to attach itself to our bodies, we declare no, and we reap a harvest of health. When everybody says the, the economy is, is no good, that, that, that everybody's going to go broke, We've planted the seed that declares that our needs are met according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus so that we have a harvest. You know, when Pastor Becky and I were in Wapaka, you know, for two years, full-time salary, <clears throat> but we didn't have enough to live on. Never missed a house payment. Never missed a school payment. Never missed a meal. 
And we look back on it and we don't know how. The only thing we can attribute it to is the fact that we were tithers. And the windows of heaven were open and God supplied every one of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And he's not a respecter of persons. And so that means that he'll do the same thing for you and I. And so we plant seed. And they know that the next morning they go out and they're not going to pull in the harvest. But that seed is planted for a future harvest. When we receive the word of God, when we hear the word of God, when we speak the word of God, it may not be for an instantaneous harvest, but it's there for a harvest. When we sow the seed of tithes and offerings, it's a seed that's being sowed. The harvest may not be immediate, but the harvest is going to come. So we need to believe. It is a disciplined mind and a will that agrees with the Spirit. That's what a prosperous soul is. You know, the day that we live in, we have so much information, so many avenues, but at the same time, people are weak-minded. They're weak-minded because they can't, they can't concentrate. They can't focus. The enemy is able to bring in temptations and evil thoughts. Why? Because we can't combat it. Because we can't control our thoughts. Because we're weak-minded. Let me tell you what the Word of God does in your soul in your mind, it strengthens it. It strengthens it so that you can see the temptation when it comes, that you can resist the temptation when it comes. You become strong-minded. You know, people say, well, children today, you know, they can't concentrate for over 10 minutes at a time. And so you've gotta, you've gotta split everything up in 10 or 15 minute breaks because kids can't concentrate any longer than that. Not abundant life kids. They hear the word of God preached to them because they're strong-minded because they can hear the word of God. I refuse to accept the fact that you all are able to, to, to listen to me, well, maybe me, anybody, preach for 20 minutes. I, I suppose that's really stretching it to listen to me for 20 minutes. I know I couldn't, so bless you in Jesus' name. But you know what? I will not accept that. I will not accept the fact that that people in Abundant Life Ministries can't receive a full message and take it, apply it in their life. Their minds are strengthened. Their bladders may not be, but their minds are strengthened so they can hear the Word of God for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it may be. Our minds are strong our soul prospers when we focus on the things of God. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be added unto you. What's so ironic about it is we, we seek all the stuff. But he says we need to seek one thing. We need to seek his kingdom, which is the word of God. We seek that first, and he says all this other stuff. It's going, to be, it's going to be added to us. It confuses faults and shortcomings. Opening, openly seeks change. That's what the soul does, the prosperous soul. It seeks change. James 5, 16 says, Confess your transgressions to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, confess to one another. That's not really talking about going about telling everybody your shortcomings and your failings. What it means is in the prosperous soul, we have nothing to hide. We're basically an open book. Because of what Jesus has done in our life, we don't have to live a life of shame. We don't have to live a life of fear. We can, we can talk about our past without shame because of what Jesus did in our present. And so we can, we can talk about our faults with one another because Jesus has set us free and we're able to walk in, in the victory of it. The prosperous soul has the mind set on things in heaven, 
Colossians 1.3. If then you were raised with Christ, you seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, of God. We seek those things above. We, 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 we look beyond the things of this world. The things of this world will hold you down. It'll bind you. But when we get our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, it lifts us up. It has control over negative feelings and emotions. Oh, the negative feelings and emotions that everybody goes through anymore. Now, I know there's a reality of bullying. But you know what the problem is? It's overplayed because everybody's moved by feelings and emotions. Rather than coming to a place of recognizing who they are in Christ Jesus. And the thing about it is when we begin to recognize who we are in Christ Jesus, we can overcome those things that come against us. I'm not, I'm not licensing anything. But I'm saying we ought to be strong. When somebody calls you a Jesus freak, it ought not to ruin your day. When somebody says something that's a little bit negative to you, it ought to be running off like water off a back of a duck. Why? Because we're strong emotionally. We need to be strong emotionally. And that's what a prosperous soul does to us because we're not looking at what we see around us. We're looking at what we know. And what we know is what Jesus has done for us. When we are in Christ, we are no longer that old soul that's affected by everything around us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation, that old things have passed away all things have become new. Maybe there were things that you struggled with in the past, but you know what? You don't have to struggle with it any longer because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know, years back when we used to have Anthony Wade in here, he's a black preacher from Mora, Ohio. Great preacher, man of God, and he, he did a lot of ministry up in this part of Iowa, northwest Iowa. And one time he was leaving our house and, and uh, we asked Anthony, we said, uh, here you are, so black, in such a white state. Do you feel a lot of prejudice towards you? And he stopped and he paused a moment and he says, no, not really. But then, I don't look for it. We're in a society right now where we're looking for stuff. We're looking for stuff. We need to stop looking for stuff and looking to the one who has set us free. Because let me tell you something. If you're looking for stuff, you'll always find it. There'll always be somebody in your life that'll say something negative towards you that'll hurt your feelings. I'll guarantee you. You know, and not intending to be, I'll, I'll probably be one of them. But you know what? We need to stop looking for stuff and putting our trust back in Jesus. The prosperous soul has a pure, positive, happy attitude towards life. What comes out of your mouth? What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? But you know what? There are also elements that make up a poor soul. One that is, that is in spiritual poverty. And I don't know about you, I, I've learned a lot by looking at what I don't want to be or don't want to do. You know, the first plumber that I, I worked for, you know, <clears throat> Uh, I learned how not to do a lot of things. Because the way he would have us things, do things, I would be determined, I will, I'll, I'll never do that. So you can learn from that. But, but here's some 
elements of the negativity of spiritual poverty or the poor soul. The poor soul lacks knowledge of the word. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know what we don't know can't hurt us. Used to think ignorance was bliss. If I don't, if I don't know it, I don't have to be held responsible for it. Doesn't work that way. If you don't know it, it can harm you. It is controlled. The poor soul is controlled by the desires of the flesh. The flesh rules. It is weak, indecisive. It's double-minded. Double-minded means that we can, we're double-minded, we can flip from one side to the other with, with regularity because we're not set in anything. James 1.8 says the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I don't know about you, I want to be stable. Well, that means we have to be single-minded, and that means we're single-minded on the things of God. And the way we become single-minded on the things of God is through the Word of God. <clears throat> the soul in poverty fantasizes about negative things is an, and is unable to control its thoughts. Now that's written to all of you melancholies out there. I know that because I'm a melancholy. And the problem with being a melancholy is something happens, you can think the worst of everything. I mean, I remember as a kid getting physically sick because of fear of, of something happened that never happened. It's known as negativity. And so we don't have any, any means, any way to control that in the natural. But the prosperous soul is able to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We don't have to think negative. Well, you know, that's just how I am. My, my grandmother was negative, my mother was negative, and I guess I'm just negative. I'm just a long line of negative folk. I have a word for you. Get over it. It doesn't apply to you any longer because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can, you can set a new pattern. You can set a new standard. It refuses, the poverty soul refuses to change, Depend, uh, defends past behavior, and makes excuses for its future. I just remember we have communion today. I've got to hurry up here. <clears throat> Proverbs 9, 7, and 9. It says, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Have you experienced that? Somebody that, you know, and, and what they are is they're their soul is in poverty. You try to give them correction, what do they do? And, and it's for their good. What do they do? They attack you. How dare you say that about me? I'm not saying about you. I'm saying if you can correct this in your area, it's going to produce an abundant life. But what does it say? You find a wise man, and you show how he can do things better, and what does he do? He increases. It spends all its time, the, the poverty soul, the poor soul. It spends all its time on natural, earthly, material things. Temporal things. Things that are going to pass away. A poor soul allows negative emotions to control its attitudes and its behaviors. Controls them. Their attitudes. It, it controls everything in their life. It allows fear Anger, bitterness, gossip, negative thinking, and all the works of the flesh to consume them. The problem is, is if we allow it, 
It'll ultimately consume us, but there's an answer. It's the Word of God. It changes us, transforms us. We begin to walk after Jesus rather than the things of the world. Let me close with this scripture. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren. Finally. After hearing everything that I had to say to you this morning. Finally, brethren. Whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble. Whatever things are just. Whatever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely. Whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. Do you know what? That leaves us with a whole lot of things to think on that are extremely good. But what does the world, the flesh, and the devil want to do? It wants us to get, get us to focus on that one issue and make it big so that it affects everything in our life. Most fights, arguments that we have, it didn't start with some big thing. It started with some little thing that we exalted, we magnified. What the Bible says? It says we're to magnify the Lord. Make him big. Make him bigger than the problem. Make him bigger than the issue. Make him bigger than the sickness. Make him bigger than the lack. Make him bigger than anything that could ever pull you down. Because he, the magnificent one, lives on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. As we've shared, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. And Father, we want that sword to be at work in our lives. That we would walk after the spirit. That we would fulfill your plan, your purpose for our lives that you would be glorified. And Father, we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to seal that word this morning with communion. And so if I can have the ushers and the elders, if you all come forward and, and uh, you can begin to uh, pass out the elements you're visiting with us today, uh, or if you're not a member of Abundant Life Ministries, I just extend an invitation to you to receive communion with us as part of the body of Christ. The elders and ushers will pass out the elements, and after they've been passed out, you can either receive them right then or wait to the uh, after everybody has received and we'll receive it together. But in communion, we follow the pattern that Jesus instituted with, it, with his disciples. When they were at the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Passover feast, talks about how Jesus took bread. And when he had taken the bread, it says that he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and he said to them to take, eat, and that they were to do it in remembrance of him, in remembrance of Jesus. And so the purpose of communion, and it says that we're to do it often, and so that means we're to often be reminded of what Jesus did for us. But communion isn't about you. Communion is about Jesus is to bring us to a place where we're reminded of what Jesus accomplished, what Jesus did for each and every one of us. 
We're to be reminded that it was his body that was broken. We receive this piece of bread that is to remind us that Jesus' body was broken for each and every one of us, that we might be whole, that we might have health, that we might be whole spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every area of our lives, that we might be whole. And so the body of Christ, which was broken for you, receive it in remembrance of him. And then he served them the second element, which is the juice. The juice represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And once again, he said to do it in remembrance of Jesus, in remembrance that it was his blood that was shed for you and I. There's a principle in the Bible we don't talk about it often, as often as we should, let me put it that way. But it's the principle of substitution. You and I, because of our sin, we deserved death. The penalty of sin was death. In the Old Testament, we know that they used the blood of goats and sheep and cattle to cover the sin. But Jesus came, the perfect sacrifice, not so that our sin might be covered over, but that it might be totally wiped away. And so we have no sin in our life. It's been taken care of past, present, and future through the blood of Jesus. Jesus also took care of all the residue of sin, which is shame and guilt and fear. And that's been washed away. He did it all as he shed his blood for you and I. And so once again, it's not about us. It's not about me focusing upon my failings, my shortcomings, the sin that I committed. It's about focusing upon what Jesus did for me, that he was my substitute, he took my place. He died on that cross, that cross that I should have died on. Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. And so as we receive this juice today, we're reminded that our sin is forgiven, our sin is washed away. And it's because of Jesus. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Now, Father, we thank you for healing us, for forgiving us, for setting us free. We thank you, Father, that it was all accomplished through Jesus. And Father, we pray that not just simply on these Sundays where we have communion, but every day we would constantly be reminded of the victory that is truly ours because of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the many truths that you've revealed to us. But Father, allow us to never stray from that central truth, that most important truth, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that Jesus is coming back. Father, may that central truth constantly flow through our thoughts. 
that we would keep our focus upon you. And so, Lord, we give you praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus. And so as we go, may you go in his peace and his strength and in his love. May you go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. And may you demonstrate his love to a lost and hurting world. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. And just give somebody a hug and let them know you love them. And God bless.